back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome to the MVP cast from me, Mark Woods. Thank you so much for listening in. As always, the podcast is brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tucompliance.co.uk. If you like the podcast, please hit the subscribe button, then you won't miss a single episode. And please do sign up for MVP's newsletter, The Post Up. Lots of exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else on a regular basis. Subscribe to that at mvp247.com. Now, this, I am shocked to say, is our 100th edition. Who said we wouldn't get past number 10, but we wouldn't have made it without listeners like you. So thank you so much for downloading or streaming or asking Alexa for us. So um, I really wanted some very special guests to mark our century edition. So I thought I'd go back to where it all began, back to Belfast and the, the club that I grew up cheering for when they were known then as Star of the Sea, now the reigning Irish Super League champions, Belfast Star. And joining me is their chair and longtime maestro behind the scenes, Bill McCotter, and their head coach, one of the finest point guards these Isles has produced over the last two, three, we won't give them the exact number of decades, Adrian Filton. Welcome both of you to the MVP cast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the invite. Bill, making your podcast debut today. I hope this isn't going to be too, uh, too scary an experience. But look, the, the fact that you've told me there's no camera, I'm very happy, Mark. <laughs> Shows you my ignorance. <laughs> it's a painless experience. Um, for those who don't know, Bill, um, Star of the Sea, Belfast Star, give us a potted history of the club. Uh, yeah, well, actually, the the, uh, the basketball section uh, originated from Star of the Sea Youth Club. The youth club was formed back in 1952 by the then Dr. Liam Conlon, who was a chief medical officer in shorts. And they were primarily a soccer team. And I have to say actually that Adrian's father, Danny, first played for Star of the Sea in his role as, he was a very good footballer, traveled all the way from Larne. Um, so that, that, that's the, the, the basis of where the club originated from. and. To be fair to Dr. Conlon, uh, we got a new uh, youth club which was opened in 1962. I'm going to show my age. The women will love this by the then Frankie Vaughan, am I right? Uh, who was the famous singer. And I think the queue at the time, because I can remember being there, all the ladies were queued outside to see the new sports hall and the new youth club. But I think it was the attraction inside. Anyhow. Dr. Conlon then, we had a small gymnasium, wasn't proper size court, but he decided that he wanted to introduce some new sports apart from soccer. And in 1964, we started basketball, which would have been in this National Association of Boys Clubs at that stage. I mean, it's it's obviously a sport that has a very rich tradition over the last half a century within, within Northern Ireland, with Ireland. Describe the kind of growth because obviously there's a lot of parallels with it, is it in Britain as well and the rest of Europe? I mean, how, what was the growth sort of trajectory of basketball in in, in and around Belfast, in particular? Well, actually, the, the key probably at that stage, Mark, was actually the schools. Um, <clears throat> when I was at school, there was actually a North Belfast and a South Belfast league on its own, uh, which obviously would have been the famous Orange Field, Boys Models, Malachy's College. Uh, Ballygo Martin, all schools played basketball at this stage. 
And I think that was certainly the growth of the sport. And then it evolved into clubs. There was a strong club link, and particularly in Ulster. And you had people like Danny O'Connor and George Glasgow. And these were all very experienced sports people who, uh, Danny would have been actually playing basketball for Ireland, but George Glasgow was also involved with Queen's University. And, and he was a top sports, um, I'm not sure how you would describe him, but uh, these were the people that were running basketball. And it, it was actually played by a lot more clubs than people realised in those early days. I'm talking, obviously, that sort of 60s and 70s at that stage. And with, I mean, there was a great sort of Irish club scene that built up and, you know, and down in Cork, you know, Natchin, the big same, North Mon, you know, Dublin, Notre Dame, St. Vincent's. You know, when I grew up and you're, you're around the same age as me, Adrian, so you'll be, we, we come in parallel. You know, there was this very vibrant team scene, it, you know, particularly in Belfast, you know, with, you know, St. Gauls, you know, yourselves. Annadale was another of the teams were based at Queen's University. When there was this sort of peak, and it was probably, you know, 70s, 80s, describe just how big basketball became. Well, certainly from our point of view, we maybe joined a little bit later. Your right, St. Gauls were ahead of us at that stage. And ironically, it was Danny who was coaching St. Gauls when they first entered the National League. Um, we, we didn't enter until sort of... Uh, late 70s, when I say that we started playing uh, intermediate tournaments and judging whether we were capable of National League and so on. And obviously there was a, a few young players knocking around the club, like Adrian, thank goodness. But the forerunner for us was actually Adrian's team when we won the All-Ireland Under-18 Cup. And then we realised that we had a platform to go to the next level. And if I'm not mistaken, we entered, there was a Division 3 at that stage and we played out of the Valley Leisure Centre. And again, I hope I'm correct. I think Adrian made his debut in National League when he was, I'm going to say, 15, Adrian? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, and that, that, that was the start for us. Um, I, we, had to, we had to play an intermediate tournament to qualify. And actually, I was reminded recently, I had forgotten, but it was Kilorglin that we beat to in Limerick. And that was the, the like of Frankie McGee, uh, our team really was based out of Hopefield School, Rathcool, the boys' model, and a cross-section of St. Malachy's College and Bardagia in North Belfast. And um, we qualified then, and then the next step for us was to join the National League, which would have been 79-80. With the, the growth of it all, I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, Friday night going across town to watch games, and it was the first games I ever saw, which uh, was a place called Anderson's Town Leisure Centre. For, for those listening to who... Now, remember back at the troubles was it was pretty much in the, the heart of a war zone at that point in time it wasn't it wasn't the safest area but there was this leisure center within these lovely green opulent grounds that had been built and there was this great safe haven and you'd go in on a friday night and there wasn't a seat left and it was noisy and it was rapturous and it was everything that you would want basketball to be you you're getting involved with basketball you know obviously playing adrian but how did you sense this excitement level around the sport at that time yeah i mean i can still vividly remember going to anderson town um had a terrific floor it was the first and foremost you know those those wooden floors were uh weren't too many of them around in those days but as you say if, if you weren't there um like a good half an hour before the game i mean you weren't getting in and um, they were literally hanging out of the rafters um so i, mean, I was obviously very young then um 
so I don't even remember. I remember obviously Dave Hopla, Boo Williams, um, obviously the Soup Campbell, Steve O'Neill era, Bobby Wrights, who was drafted with the Celtics. Um, but it was it, it was it was terrific because it, at that stage there were there were four teams who were who were based out of Belfast who were all playing to that national league level. You know, maybe a different division, but the rivalry was terrific. But I know there was a great uh, camaraderie among the basketball fraternity then as well. Um, so I mean, it was just it was to be fair, it was it, it definitely was an electric type atmosphere and a great time to be involved in basketball if you were certainly a player. And uh, as a fan, it was uh, growing up watching watching them play. It was uh, it was terrific. Put in a bit of social context, building back to that era, because you know, sport at that time, you know was as politicized as anywhere else i mean you know sport and politics is always mixed in in the northern Ireland context you couldn't really do anything without politics being involved in some way what was the impact of that specifically though on basketball um good question actually uh we never really talked about it basketball was basketball just for the love of the sport and uh I hate using that term, but we were always classed as a mixed team. And really, you know, people in the North will know what I mean by that, you know. But uh, <laughs> it's a strange one because you say to our colleagues in England and they look at you, what are you talking about? But I think the sport was the winner because it didn't matter who you were, or what you were. Um, and basketball was the winner at that stage. And certainly playing through the troubles, uh, I have to say when you look at people who were running basketball at the time in the old 49 Malone Road, um, the basketball still carried on. There was never any issues, even with everything that was going on around us. And I think a lot of sports, including basketball, uh, really kept people sane, for want of a better word, and gave them the opportunity to play their sport. And uh, Adrian's right. If you go back to the early days, in fact, when we progressed, really it was the late 80s and 90s, I think we were getting a thousand people at Mesby Leisure Centre on a Sunday afternoon. And Adrian is correct. And if you went to Andersonstown or the Kerry Inn even later on, um, the sport was just buzzing. It was incredible. What was it like being out in the road though sometimes? Because, you know, it's an all Ireland league. That was the time in travelling around. You had its complications. You were going back and forth across a border that was militarized you know in, in its in its absolute purest sense i mean there, there must have been times out in the road adrian where it felt like crikey what <laughs> are we getting back tonight safely or what are we going to find when we're out here it's, it's funny mark it, it's really only when and again we're on the same same age it was really only when you the army weren't on the street uh, and and the, there weren't as many checkpoints that really as as a you know, growing up, I was kind of going, mm. okay, so that actually wasn't the way it's supposed to be, you know, because I, I was born in 71, so when you're growing up, and obviously my dad worked in West Belfast, and he worked in Anderson's town, and you're just so used to, you know, being stopped and checkpoints, and it was just, you know, part of the fabric, and it never really bothered me. It was, you know, I suppose now if you were stopped and you, and you see guys and, and police or army with, with rifles and so on, you'd probably sit up and take notice, but back then... It was just, you know, it was just part of the furniture and I didn't give it a second thought. It was just we were going to watch basketball or play basketball. And as Bill said, you know, basketball was ultimately, you know, why we were all involved. Um, whether you were, you know, going to Regent House or Ballygan Martin or Annadale or whether you were, you know, in the boys model or whether you were going to St. Malachy's or St. Mary's or wherever. 
We've had, we've had our good friend Dave Hopla on this podcast before, and there was that he talked very eloquently about the culture shock of you know, an American player pitching up in Belfast and finding what they would find. I mean, Bill, when you were recruiting players at you know that time, particularly in the early days of you know being in the the the, the sort of top tier of professional basketball, what how how honest did you have to be or not be to get them over if you were trying to get an American into to Belfast? Question. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, well, just to give you a bit of background, the very first player we had was a guy called uh, Dave Shahadi. And if I was to tell you that the only way we could find a player is we advertised in a paper in New York. And uh, Dave played for Bucknell at the time. And uh, we didn't even have a clue what the guy looked like, never mind. We knew he played good basketball, but we moved on from then and suppose people like uh, John Copeland and he was probably our first American. And the other thing that I think was a big advantage, Mark, was that Americans weren't really traveling that much to Europe then. Uh, believe it or not, even with our accent, uh, it was an attraction for them that we spoke English, apparently. <laughs> and, uh, this was a big attraction. We were getting top division one players. I think that was a real benefit right throughout Ireland, you know, it'd be Cork, Dublin, Belfast. And um, they just, I, I, I don't know, um, they just liked the Irish way. Of course, they come over and you're, they were part of the family. You know, it was just a different era. And the standard of player that we got was, was amazing. Um, the best one probably to answer that would be JD, our American, Javan Dupree, who came over from Texas and is still here. Uh, but JD could tell you some stories because obviously he was, you know, six foot six Texan and um, he sort of stood out with his colour, uh, if that's the right thing to say at this stage. But loved the country, loved the people and the people more. I have to say, to be fair to the Americans, they really embraced Ireland they, and they brought the sport to a new level. And uh, they, they just seemed to settle with the Irish way. If that's, they loved seeing Dublin. They loved going to Cork. Uh, the Cork teams love coming to Belfast in particular. There's always a rivalry between Dublin and Cork, as we know. And it's just a great atmosphere, Mark. That that period around when you know late eighties, nineties, you know, the game's at really at its peak, and it was kind of in parallel with the BBL in the sense of you know there was it was that growth, it was that combination of a bit of American razzmatazz, but also the growth of really good players. You and I remember writing this at the time, and yeah, it was always big in yourself. You had this backcourt at Star alongside Gareth McGuire, and I always taught you up, Adrian, that you guys were the best backcourt duo that this country's produced in that era. And I always, one chooses one's words very carefully in terms of what country or UK or whatever, but in these islands, I thought you guys were the best backcourt duo bar none. What was the last hard, hard good? And within the confines of testing yourself in a league that wasn't maybe the strongest. I mean, did you guys go out and, you know, what, what was the level of practice you were able to put in or the level of competition that you felt you were able to challenge yourself to on a domestic stage without, of course, being able, you know, playing internationally was another, you know, another string to your boat? Um, I think that, uh, you know, we, we had a great, you know, Gareth and I practiced together, you know, outside of the team practices as well and obviously we're, we were very close um so that definitely helped 
And I think the fact that we were, you know, playing at university together, you know, I was there for quite a few years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the the other chat, the other, you know, the, the side of it was you're going to playing um, international basketball at underage. So obviously you're playing four countries tournaments back then. So I was exposed a little bit to what the, the best England had to offer, um, both uh, international level underage and then obviously at university level. And, and you add into that there um, the fact that I was playing National League from when I was about 15. And, um, you know, I, I was... I was very, very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of, a lot of great people, a lot of great, you know, coaches uh, and players uh, and mentors. So I, I was very, very fortunate. But there were, there were challenges every week. I, I thought the standard. I mean, it's very kind of you to say so, but there were so many good players growing up. You look in Cork, the likes of you know Stephen McCarthy, you know th- that ten of era, Gordon Fitz. Um, before then, you you know guys like um, you know Mark Scannell. You know you could name them off. Francis O'Sullivan in, in North Mon. Um, then in Dublin, you look at like Mark Keenan, you guys like Darren McGuinness, you know, never mind Belfast, you've got the Donnellys running after you. Uh, and it was very, very competitive. Um, but I think it was a healthy rivalry. So I think if, if you knew, if you did, if you weren't at the top of your game, that, you know, not sort of locally or nationally, you weren't going to make a national team. So we were always pushed. Um, I do regret the fact that we, that we didn't get an opportunity to play as many teams uh, sort of in GB as as we would have liked. Um, I really enjoyed playing in those sort of the Federation Cup, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Has to play against you know some of the teams, some say Murray or or, or Manchester Giants as it was then, or you know I, I wasn't old enough. I, I played in the in the in the uh, the Roy Curtis once for the Irish team for the national team, but I never really got a chance to play you know against when some of those teams like Solent Stars were there. Um, you know, obviously Murray when they had you know so many um, obviously terrific like Graham Hill, Ian McLean, but they had guys like Ralton Way and Lewis Young, all those guys. Um, I regret not getting a chance to play against you know those teams in the likes of of a Roy Curtis. But I mean, I, I was very fortunate. I have to say that over my career, very very fortunate. That's um, I wasn't athletic athletic enough to do myself too many injuries. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I, I I got to travel around and play against a lot of players, you know, all over the world. So, Bill, do you, and the governance obviously of, of basketball, and particularly in Northern Ireland, is quite curious because it's obviously it's an All Ireland Super League. It's curious in the same way that anything is curious when we talk about sport as an All Ireland basis. But you know, it's the governing bodies based in Dublin. You guys are in the north. Obviously, there's opportunities that you may play for. You know, GB Olympics or Ireland and for those who don't understand it how do you guys fit into the picture of the sort of curious patchwork that is basketball in Ireland Northern Ireland? It's a great question Mark. Uh, obviously um, we're a little bit peculiar over here we'll use that word Mark but uh, basketball special, is special, a, special. special okay but we say that tongue-in-cheek you know we're very good at laughing at ourselves I think that's that's a big help at us uh, but it, it's similar to hockey, it's similar to rugby, it's a, it's an all-Ireland sport. Uh, we're affiliated to Basketball Ireland, which is the headquarters in Dublin. However, Basketball Northern Ireland is one of the, is the governing, sorry, is uh, an area board, for want of a better description. Um, where do we fit in? Well, actually, STAR itself is one of the founder members of the National League uh, a number of years ago. Unfortunately, the sport got into financial trouble and Star was one of the 10 clubs that coughed up money to keep the sport going. And um, 
the sport has really progressed since then. You know, you've uh, a lot more teams playing, particularly uh, men's and ladies now across Ireland. So I don't know. Uh, we certainly feel a part of it, but I suppose uh, we have a different jurisdiction. The best example we could give you that recently with the pandemic, uh, Basketball Ireland was awarded 1.2 million pounds from uh, 1.2 million euros, sorry, from the Irish government for sport. Uh, but unfortunately, even though we were all Ireland champions, we weren't uh, able to access that money because we're a different jurisdiction. Now, we have applied for money um, here locally uh, and uh, we're successful. We haven't heard the amount yet, but uh, so where does that leave us? You could almost say we're a guest, but we don't look at it that way because we've been heavily involved for so long. We just feel part of it. But it does. It is complicated. And I think you have something similar whenever there's money made available to, I'm going to say, BBL or Basketball England. The Rocks weren't able to apply it and had to go to the government in Scotland. Is that correct? Yeah. So similar. Sim, so we're similar in ways in that end of it. That, that just, that's politics. That's not sport, if you know what I mean. But uh, we certainly feel very much part of the, the, the Irish basketball uh family and you know from even participating at schools level as well we we do the same and uh it's a small country you're only talking just over five million people uh and uh yeah yeah we're we're quite happy with the setup as it is at the moment i mean as someone who works at grassroots i mean you're you're teaching school adrian obviously you coach coaching a club what's the infrastructure like within northern ireland to develop great young talent um, it's not as good as we would like it, Mark, to be honest. Um, it's definitely something that, is, that has suffered. Um, if we sort of jump back sort of 10, 15 minutes in, in, the, in the podcast, um, there were so many, and it's not controversial, it's just a fact of life. Uh, there were so many um, Protestant schools playing um, then, and there are a lot of schools playing basketball um, within P the P curriculum um, with our climate. And when you're trying to uh, to develop skills and keep kids inside, basketball is a great game and it's very popular for P teachers as well. But when it gets to a competitive level, it's a whole different animal. Um, so Somalikis, we're, we're one of the few uh, schools in the north that actually play at A in the boys' side. Um, there have been others. Um, and then the girls' side, again, there have been other schools that have played. But consistently, um, we're not getting the enough players involved at the grassroots levels um, through schools like we would have, you know, sort of 30 years ago. Um, so that's something that we certainly have to address. Um, there are, and again, I think it's not, they're not playing, they're not playing competitively. You know, they'll enjoy it. They have fun. Um, but we need to try to harness that there. Um, and it's something that we've actually discussed recently. You know, Kevin Craig, who, who did a great job um, as a player for Stars now, um, Bill has hoodwinked him into uh, now chairman of BNI. So, and one of the things that he's looking at right now is trying to gather, you know, plenty of evidence um, to see where there where there are sort of deficiencies in our structures, where we can actually provide pathways for young boys and young girls. Um, you know, nationally, it's in a very healthy state. Um, I, I think the last stat I saw was I think nationally, um, about four percent of the players. Uh, underage are playing basketball in the north. So if you think of of uh, our population relative to the to the south, um, 
you know, obviously we're we're way below where we need to be. Um, so we might have about 25 schools playing competitively, and in the north, and yet over, sort of throughout the island of Ireland, you're talking closer to 800. So it's very healthy participation-wise um, across the island of Ireland, but in the north, we we certainly would like to uh, to try to do to do a better job. I mean, the shining beacon of the development system in the last years has been your own son, CJ, who was a member of your league winning team two years ago. He's now at high school in Boston and talked about in reverential terms as the, the great new white hope of, of Northern Irish Irish basketball. And tell us about him. I mean, what's his development like and how is this American move working for him so far? Um, yeah, it's like everything else in the last year, Mark. It hasn't quite gone to uh, plan in terms of what we would have hoped. For example, um, he really hasn't been off campus too often when he's been in in Boston. So that whole kind of sort of just personal development side of things. You know, one of the reasons like CJ went was he he wasn't sure whether he, you know, could he stick living away from his mum for you know a number of years, um, and you know certainly. That's one thing that he's now aspiring to do. I mean, he he's really enjoyed his year. I mean, the coaching staff have been terrific. His teammates have been great. The school has been has been. I mean, everything's been very positive from that side of things. And even though he's home for spring break right now, he's certainly looking forward to. You know, his decision has been made in the sense that he would like to go to college and he would like to play basketball and he would like to try to develop that further. So that's something that's been very positive so at least if if the basketball hasn't quite gone to plan in terms of the number of games um because of the obviously of the pandemic that he certainly has come back with a yes he's lived away from home for six months and yes i want to do it again and you know um we'll take it from there i mean obviously there was a significant amount of interest from colleges before he even decided to go down the route of spending a year at high school um where's he at in this big choice um <laughs> well, yeah, I would say if we had this podcast in a couple of weeks' time, you'd probably know more. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, it's it's a to be perfectly honest, it's a bit of a mess the NCAA sort of system at the minute, and that and that's not um, that's just a fact of life, like everything else. It's not a criticism, you know. The decision of the NCAA, it appears that they were trying to be very fair to all their seniors, well, anybody playing this year, but particularly their seniors, um, with the eligibility being changed so that you know this year doesn't really count what well, doesn't count towards their their four year eligibility seniors can stay you know you're going to see a lot of grad transfers you're going to see players enter the transfer portal and, and coaches right now um don't even know what the roster is going to look like um that being said you know teams starting to get knocked out now um as we approach Mar- i think march Madness starts today actually mm-hmm. and um, I would say in the next few weeks you'll probably have a decision. Um, well, we're hopeful. You know, there's there's still plenty of interest, um, and we we see. You know, it's not about it's about getting the right fit. I suppose you know for him, um, he's not a sort of kid you just roll out the ball and say right, you know, go beat that guy one on one. He's not that type of kid, not that type of player. Um, you know, he plays really well within the team structure. Um, he can really shoot it. You know, he's very smart. So he's lots of attributes. One thing he has done, he's, he's grown again and he's put on weight. You know, he's a lot stronger than he was. 
so he's probably around what 185 now pounds wise and about nearly nearly six three so he's a lot bigger than and stronger now i'm about i'm about 185 now as well mark when i'm retired <laughs> i could never get to 185 not in your prime. I, 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 no i couldn't get to 185 <laughs> I couldn't get the 165 in my prime, unfortunately. So, um, oh, no, this and there hopefully will be opportunities. It's 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 just very difficult, Mark, because as I said, the coaches don't even know. Um, so they they have been there's been coaches in touch, and they're saying, you know, they're very they're interested, you know, but they don't know whether they've got scholarships available because guys might leave, they might stay. It's just it's just very very difficult. But hopefully, in the next sort of three to four weeks, you know, he can he can make some sort of decision as to what he's going to do, where he's going to go. I mean, give us a flavor. I mean, you're this unique position, and obviously, you're a coach. You're also his dad, and you've got the experience of basketball. And, and talk us through. Obviously, it's always down to the kid to make the decision at the end of the day because it's their future, so they say. But what's what's your what would your advice be? Having going through this process at the minute, what have you learned from it in terms of the best way to go about this process to try and help him find the best fit for him and his his playing and his personal future? I think the first and foremost, and you know, it's not being cheesy or or kind of you know a throwaway comment. You really need you really need to put people, certainly your own son or anybody that you value, in the hands of people that you trust. So when CG uh, was going to Winchenden, um, we you know I'll be honest, it was more about the the, the people that he was going to and the coaching staff. And uh, the head coach Kevin Kehoe, um, I heard a lot of good reports. Daryl Sullivan had been there last year, kid from Cork. Um, Bill Dooley, who coached the national team when I played, knows Kevin. So, you know, we went at it from a different, a couple of different angles to see. Well, this is a guy that we can trust. So whether you know things go great or things don't go so well, that he's always going to be taken care of. So that's as a as a parent, that's that's very important. And I don't think there's any difference. Um, college, college is a business. We know that college basketball is a billion, billion dollar industry. So, you know, we see the glitz and the glam and the and the and March madness. But you know, it's it's it can be, there's a brutal side to it as well. You know, and particularly, I would imagine young coaches who maybe haven't maybe got established that much will find it very difficult. And 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 obviously they they want to keep their job. They they feel pressurized. But if you can send a a, a player to a program that's as stable that the coach isn't under maybe too much pressure, um, that the style fits, that it's in a you know a good area, it's good academically because obviously injuries can strike at any time. Um, like CD's been playing with an injury all year, you know he's thankfully he's coming out the other side of it, but um, it's just been a bit of a slow healer for him. So I think there's so many things in the mix, but the coaching structure, the coaching staff, you know, are, and and the are, are obviously very important. If that's stable. Um, I think that's a very good a good starting point um, because there's zero there's zero sort of guarantees that a coach is going to be there for four years, you know. So we wait with interest. The big reveal. Yeah, well, sitting there, yeah, sure, will be in social media. Yeah, you know, you know, CJ, he doesn't like the big reveal at all. <laughs> at all. That's not that's not how he rolls. He'll not be saying there to you know he'll not be doing that type of thing. I'd have to. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. You know, obviously he's excited, but he's nervous as well. You know, it's 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 one of those ones you don't know um, what's going to be out there. You don't know um, who's going to eventually. There's, there's going to be plenty of teams have an interest, which there are, but you know, turning that interest into an actual scholarship offer is a different uh, a different thing. You know, 
Well, Adrian mentioned there about the, the old Federation Cup, and there was a lot of tournaments that used to bring the best teams in Britain and Ireland together. You know, whether it was Roy Curtis, there was a pre-season tournament, which um, I think was called the Tato Invitational, um, which was in Belfast for a few, quite a few years. Um, lots of those opportunities to kind of cross-pollinate. That hasn't happened in quite a while. Now, you, as a club, had a little interest in the BBL trophy. Um, it's never quite good with a line. But is that the sort of thing you'd like to explore do you think that would benefit the game if there was a bit more back and forth that you know you guys play the best of the bbl and just benchmark yourself create a bit of extra interest do something different yeah yeah again another good question actually if you go back to the you call the uh i'm allowed to say the tato tournament in fact actually if i'm not mistaken the the rocks played in that tournament just before they entered the bbl Mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure you were playing adrian we beat them actually Mm. In that tournament, it was in the Valley Leisure Centre, and um, yes, there was a there was a bit of interest then from from ourselves. But you know, if we look, and I'd be very honest, if we look at how the BBL has progressed recently, it's certainly gone way past what we were then. You know, I think we were similar in ways. There was a number of teams in Ireland could have competed quite easily in it. Um, it's 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 a big talking point because obviously. Uh, um, and I don't mind say, saying this, you know, that um, I've had a f- couple of conversations with Paul Blake over the years when I've been over, and uh, I think there's a demand maybe get a team. Initially, they talked about a team coming out of Belfast, one coming out of uh, Dublin, maybe even Cork at that stage, which would have been a pre-runner for what has happened actually in, in rugby, where you've really got a professional team out of each province. Um I think the sport needs that, but Adrian's right. Our grassroots sports at the moment um, is not great in the north. We're behind our colleagues in the south. We as a club, actually, um, we celebrate. I'm just looking at a book here in front of me, 50 years, 1964 to 2014. Um, in, in 2024, we're 60 years as a club, and uh, but it's not enough clubs like ourselves in the north, and that's that, that's a major issue for us. Uh, BBL would certainly be an attraction for to give basketball the lift that it needs. If you take the classic tournament that Gareth has brought to Belfast recently, unfortunately it's been hit because of the pandemic and so on. I mean, the interest shown in the Odyssey for teams, college teams from the States, you mean 5,000 people at the game. So there's a there's an opportunity for the sport. Um, but the, the BBL has progressed so much, Mark, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how that would work. Uh, it's certainly, it would be a whole new dynamic. It'd be a, a professional team that'd have to be set up and so on. Um, it's a good talking point. I'm not sure, and I have to be careful what I say, but I'm not sure politically how that would go well in Dublin, if you know what I mean. But listen, that's sport in general. It happened to football, it could happen to basketball. Uh, but we'd have to say the... Uh, the progress of the BBL recently has far outstripped where we were all those years ago. They're well ahead of us, you know. Would you like to see it, Adrian? Because obviously ice hockey has the Belfast Giants. So, you know, logistically, the franchise idea can work with, you know, the costs of operating costs of more flights, basically, is going to be a bigger thing. I mean, would you like to see that that kind of proper professional franchise in Belfast? For sure. I mean, without without doubt, Mark, I, I really would. Um, you know, as, as a as a coach and somebody who's worked on, obviously with, with Star for for a long time, but also 
um, I'm now an assistant to the senior men, to the national team. And we're, we're listen, we, we just don't punch even to our weight, never mind above our weight. And in order for us to do that, I, I think we've got the talent. And I think I think there's a lot of very good coaching um, throughout the country. But the investment is the issue, you know, and financial investment is, is a massive issue. So obviously you've got football, you've got rugby, you've got Gaelic games and everybody else, every other sport, whether you're, you know, it's it's athletics or, you know, um, We'll say golf, but it's slightly different. But volleyball, badminton, table, I mean, there's so many sports that, that would love, you know, just even some of the funding that they get. Um, but I think I think there's a market for it. I, I think people, I mean, if you can put ice hockey in, into the Odyssey, I, I certainly think that you can definitely do it with basketball. Um, how it would work on a, on a practical level, I, I'm not sure. But it's something that I, I think that, that would be a real boost for basketball in Ireland. You know, we, like we talk about... I think we've done a very good job generally over the last 20 years increasing participation, but I think now the emphasis has to be on on sort of high performance. So you know yourself, sport, you can build it from the bottom up, but also there's a time for going, hold on a second here, Let, let's see if we can if we can really create a product here and something that kids aspire to and they, they go along and they enjoy it. Um, and I, I think that's one way of, of sort of trickling down as well to, to schools and boosting it, boosting the sport that way too, because I think there's a market for it, yeah. Let's finish up with a couple of sort of national team questions. I mean, you mentioned Ireland. Obviously, there was a great era when you were playing, but the team it was a probably half and half, maybe I'm being generous there, you know, Irish players and guys who had a passport through their granny from the back end of Cork. And it was an interesting dynamic. The team did quite well for a while. Then obviously, basketball Ireland fell into financial troubles, can really play internationally for a few years. Where do you sense a prospect for Ireland as a national team for the next five years? Um, well, we will big day tomorrow, Mark. Um, FIBA are meeting and the, they're supposed to make a decision about about the Europeans. Um, so we're hosting the small nations um, at the end of June, start of July uh, in Limerick. Or that's the plan anyway. Um, so first and foremost, you know, short term wise, that's something that we need to t- we need to win. <laughs> there's no there's no two ways about it. You know, that's that's got to be a, a a win for us. Um, if it's not this year, next couple of years, it's really important that Ireland gets back to to playing. Um, I know the structure's changed. You know, further from that sort of gone away from the B where we would have played. Um, but I would like us. I mean, we're looking at different models throughout Europe. So, say for example, you take Slovenia in terms of population. There's no point in comparing Ireland to Spain or Italy or you know Germany. It just doesn't work. But the likes of a Slovenia, who we, we, there's more people here than there are in Slovenia, but they they're playing A. Like Finland, have got to play in A. You know, we need to see what what they're doing um, and and try to structure things in a little bit better ways. Better. Like we have players playing in Europe right now. Um, more and more players. We have players in the US. We have plenty of players playing Division One basketball in the US, and we need to create a, a pathway for them. We need to we need to make sure that if you're playing basketball, you want to play for your national team. You know, you want to play. Um, at the minute, with with the small nations, we're only allowed one sort of player with a passport. If that makes sense, and then you get to the kind of the next level. Um, I know obviously the dynamic changes. Um, but you don't want players to have to pay to play for their country, you know, and that's been one of the biggest issues at underage basketball over the last number of years. So again, I know we're coming back to the financial investment, um, 
but we really do. There's so much talent underage. Um, you know, obviously you'd have you know a lot of uh, you know people come from Eastern Europe who have settled here, uh, who are very talented players. We've got some um, you know some some kids who are real high level athletes now, and there's no reason why we can't compete. A number of teams have showed it over the last number of years. You know, they've played the the men I'm talking about specifically because the girls have done that and the girls have maintained a very very high level and continue to do so. They do a brilliant job underage. But I suppose I kind of got down the road there of, of talking about the men specifically because we're not um, and we haven't done as good a job as, as they have about competing at international level. Um, I'll finish up, Bill, and talking about my very, very favourite sporting event, the Commonwealth Games. That's not a phrase I ever say, my favourite sporting event, the Commonwealth Games. But anyway, it's happening next year in Birmingham. Um, there's this curious way of qualifying that you know, could, Northern Ireland could send a team into it. Um, how much how important could that be to, to a to, to to be in a qualifying situation and b to have a stage where northern ireland specifically rather than ireland gets a chance to kind of say hey we're a basketball nation as well again uh yeah i suppose from from northern ireland's point of view uh we're, we're blessed in that we have actually and i think i'm reiterating it'll keep me right here with five senior internationals uh, at the moment, um, and obviously the sport is three v three. Or I'm corrected when I say that FIBA says three x three, so I have to get my terminology correct. Uh, but it's an opportunity for us in the north to go to a, 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 another stage, another level, and uh, we're certainly pursuing that at the moment. I believe we're waiting for uh, rankings to come through, so. I'm sure we'll have to play in a qualifying tournament. But, Mark, we haven't played any basketball since last March. Um, we didn't have elite status uh, here in the north of Ireland because uh, it's, again, different jurisdiction. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're going to get elite status for the Commonwealth Games. And if anything, that will get our players back training, uh, hopefully quicker than we would expect. And certainly for us as a small country it's a great opportunity to go to another level than we are at the moment and i certainly know that fiba in particular are very much behind 3x3 and uh, we're going to grab the opportunity more and hopefully we can qualify let's hope so it'd be an exciting thing to go and say and then if you could do it with belfast are winning the the super league once again in the same year it'd be quite could be quite a summer next year 2020 once we get past this. <laughs> anyway, it, is, it, it has been a great pleasure having you both in the 100th edition. Um, continued success, my personal point of view. I, I shall be applauding you when you guys, when you get back. Um, but good luck with everything you go um, that's coming down the pipeline. And hopefully we'll all be back in a basketball court soon. Brilliant, Mark. Thanks, William. Thank you both. That is it for this edition of the MVP cast. Brought to you with our good friends at Total Environmental Compliance. Search for them on Google or give them a follow on social media at T Compliance Limited. You can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com and you can also sign up there for the post up. Or if you want to reach out to me, get me on Twitter at Mark Britball. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thank you so much for listening and it's bye for now. <laughs>